If something sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Sometimes it's quite obvious, so obvious, in fact, that my email warns me not to respond. Emails like this may come from someone like a Mr. Peter Howard. There's no Peter Howards here. <laughs> they read, hello, my good friend. Good day, and how are you today? I hope all is well with you and your family. I'm using this opportunity to inform you that this multi-million dollar business has been conducted with the assistance of another partner who financed this transaction to a logical conclusion. I don't know a lot about finance and business, but I'm pretty sure that's nonsense. Some kind of flattery is then typically used. Due to your effort, your sincerity, courage, and trustworthiness you showed during the course of this transaction. Thank you, Peter. And then there's the promise. I have left an ATM Visa card for you worth $1.2 million. Just send us your full name, telephone number, bank account number, and your mailing address. Okay, sure, Peter. A quick perusal of the subject lines in my spam folder of my email shows I have tens if not hundreds of million dollars coming my way. This promise is so absurd, so impossible, it's actually a little bit funny. If something sounds too good to be true, it probably is. In our Bible reading this morning, God gives Abraham and Sarah a message that sounds too good to be true. It's the middle of a hot day, and Abraham is lounging at the tent door in the shade of an oak tree, trying to stay cool. The afternoon slump is setting in as everything and everyone shuts down for the hottest part of the day. Abraham's eyelids are getting heavier. He feels himself beginning to drift off. When he looks up and three traveling strangers are approaching the tent, and so he jumps to his feet, the consummate and courteous host. He runs to meet them. Let me get you some water so you can wash the dust off your feet. Come rest in the shade. Are you hungry? Let me get you some bread. Hurrying into the tent, he finds Sarah, maybe dozing off with her Sudoku book flopped in her lap, reading glasses perched on the end of her nose. It's nap time. Now, Sarah, we've got guests. Quick, you make the bread. I'll find a calf. And the tent is sent into a flurry of activity and excitement. Just like that, these traveling strangers are eating a meal, veal with a side of hot from the fire, bread, cheese, and a tall glass of warm milk straight from the source. Abraham stands off to the side like a waiter, attentive to their needs. Where's your wife, Sarah? One of them asks. Sarah's ears perk up at the sound of her name, and she moves to the entrance of the tent to listen in, just out of sight. It's a little odd that these complete strangers would know her name, but maybe they just overheard it while they were making, every, getting everything ready. 
Oh, Sarah, she's in the tent. Then one of the travelers says, I'll surely return to you in due season, and your wife Sarah will have a son. Who are these people? It's weird enough that they would know her name, but how would they know about the promise? Earlier in Genesis, God had promised them that they would have many descendants. God would make them into a great nation so that all people on earth would be blessed through them. From the time God called Abram when he was 75 years old, descendants or children have been part of the promise. But as Genesis 16.1 puts it so bluntly, now Sarai, Abram's wife, bore him no children. In view of this, God's promise seems unbelievable. If they had no children, there would be no descendants. So as you may know, they kind of tried to help God out a little bit. Abram had a child with Sarah's servant Hagar when he was 86 years old. And this was a fairly common practice in the day, but still it didn't sit so well with Sarah. It only amplified her pain, her jealousy, her own feelings of inadequacy. And it's been 13 years since then. When God first promised them many descendants, it was unbelievable. But now some 24 years have passed. God's promise has been delayed to the point of complete impossibility. And if something sounds too good to be true, well, you know. This mysterious traveling messenger's promise to Sarah sounded about as likely as me getting a Visa debit card loaded up with $1.2 million. Sarah laughs to herself just like Abraham had laughed the last time God reminded him of the promise. Not only was Sarah unable to have children in her prime childbearing years, now she is postmenopausal. There's literally like 0% chance this is happening. And Abraham is not exactly a picture of virility himself anymore. As Walter Brueggemann points out, Abraham and Sarah have by this time become accustomed to their barrenness. They are resigned to their closed future. The gospel does not meet them in receptive hopefulness, but in resistant hopelessness. At this point, God's promise is so absurd, so impossible, it's actually a little bit funny. But not like, ha-ha, I'm having such a great time funny, more like I'm going to laugh to keep myself from crying funny. Maybe Sarah had been optimistic at first, but now she knows better. If something sounds too good to be true, it probably is. She knows better than to get her hopes up. Sarah's laughter in this passage is loaded with the pain of despair and cynicism. We might be familiar with the sound of Sarah's laughter. We've heard it come out of our own mouths or the mouths of the people who we love. Frederick Beekner tells a story about how after one of his speaking engagements, the daughter of an old friend came up to see him. He writes, she told me a horror story about her marriage. Her husband had been diagnosed with premature dementia. 
he'd lost all sense of judgment. He would disappear for days because he wanted to go get a book out of the library, but the library was 600 miles away and he wouldn't tell her where he was going. He'd lost all their money. They were being sued to the point that they finally divorced because otherwise what little money she had would be liable to be taken as well. It was just a hopeless story. Beekner writes, I could see nothing in it that suggested there was any way out of it. But as she told this story, she kept laughing. This awful, chill, unearthly, inhuman laugh, as if her only way of surviving her pain was to make a kind of joke out of it. We know this kind of laughter that covers up our pain. God has promised us resurrection life, a life marked by close union with Christ, by meaningful and fulfilling relationships with each other, a life marked by shalom, peace with God, creation, each other, even our own selves. This morning we heard in Matthew 5, Jesus promised that the meek will inherit the earth, that those who mourn will be comforted, that the merciful will be shown mercy and not just trampled all over. But some days all these promises sound so absurd, so impossible that it's actually it's a little bit funny. But not like a ha-ha, I'm having such a good time funny, more like I'm going to laugh to keep myself from crying kind of funny. We may hear this kind of despairing laughter on our own lips when depression or anxiety threaten to choke that last bit of life and hope from our tired souls. We may hear this despairing laughter on our lips when another month of infertility has passed without any signs of new life, or when every conversation with a child or parent ends in raised voices and slam doors. When another week of work has passed and your boss still doesn't seem to notice or appreciate any of your work. Abundant resurrection life, shalom, a great reward in heaven. Shall we have this pleasure? We laugh to ourselves. Okay, sure, maybe when that Visa card from Peter Howard comes through. We laugh because we know better. If something sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Sarah's laughter gives away her hiding place behind the entrance to the tent. The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am too old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time, I will return to you in due season, and Sarah will have a son. Now, sometimes there are questions in the Bible that are rhetorical questions where the answer, answer is obviously meant to be yes or no. But here is not one of those times. The question, is anything too wonderful for the Lord, is not a rhetorical question. It is a genuine, open-ended question that calls for a response. And so the curious thing is that we don't actually hear Sarah's response. Because maybe on one hand, her response is not really the point. 
God fulfills God's promise to Sarah and Abraham regardless of their response. This story gives us reason to believe that God's faithfulness is not conditional on their belief or the strength of their faith. And if you were to turn the page in your Bible, you'd see that's the case. We read, The Lord dealt with Sarah as he had said. The Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. God fulfills God's unbelievable, hilariously impossible promises to Abraham and Sarah. They have traded in their walkers for a stroller. They have traded in the sound of Jeopardy in the evenings for the sound of Peppa Pig and Paw Patrol. God has traded in their despairing, cynical laughter for the unmitigated joy and delight of a baby's belly laugh. Isaac, the child of laughter. How appropriate that at the end of our Bible reading, we laughed together. The conventional wisdom is that if something sounds too good to be true, it probably is, but such is not the wisdom of the God of Abraham and Sarah. The Bible is full of testimonies like Sarah's that show us, as the Apostle Paul puts it, that God was able to do what he had promised. God turns Sarah's despairing laughter into joyful laughter that radiates from her family out into the world around them. She says, God has brought laughter for me, as she burps little baby Isaac on her shoulder. And everyone who hears will laugh with me. As people grafted into God's covenant, united to Christ in his death and resurrection, God acts in the same way on our behalf today. As God fulfills God's promises to us, God turns our despairing, cynical laughter into joy-filled, hope-filled laughter. Back in the mid-90s, there was a Pentecostal charismatic movement that came to be known as the Toronto Blessing. This took place in a church out by the Toronto airport in Ontario. And people who would attend services at this church would claim to have these kind of extraordinary experiences of the Spirit, like being slain in the Spirit. Some people claimed to be physically healed from their diseases or pain. There were reports of people barking like dogs and roaring like lions. But the phenomena I'm most interested in this morning is what came to be known as holy laughter. One person reports that in worship, as they began to focus on the unbelievable grace of God and the good news of the gospel, this person became so overcome with joy that they couldn't help but laugh. There seemed to be no other possible response in the moment. And soon people nearby began to laugh too. And this laughter would move through the congregation like a wave, like they were doing the wave at a baseball game, but it was laughter. Now, it probably won't surprise you to hear that the Toronto Blessing garnered a good amount of theological critique. 
disagreements, not least of all from folks in Reformed denominations like my own. And I get it. I think we're called to test and discern manifestations of the Spirit. But if we hold up this holy laughter to the testimony of Scripture, is it possible that this is one way God's Spirit would be present among us today? Don't get me wrong. I mean, if one of you starts laughing uncontrollably while I preach, I will be just as uncomfortable as everyone else. (laughs) But we claim to have faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Isaac, the God of the one whose name means laughter. Still, God may not deal with us in such dramatic or over-the-top ways. Maybe these instances of holy laughter don't really strike a chord with you. Maybe when God turns our despairing laughter into joy-filled, hope-filled laughter, It's more like this story this neuroscientist Sophie Scott shares about her father. Sophie's father was very, very ill. Everyone was sure he was about to die any day. The doctors didn't know what to do, and so everyone was kind of just sitting there waiting for something to happen. Suddenly, her father said out of the blue, We sure have laughed a lot, haven't we? And she said, yeah, I guess we have. But she thought, what a strange thing to say. Years later, as a neuroscientist who now studies laughter, Sophie realized how profound his reflection really was. She says, if you can look back on a life with lots of laughter with the people around you, with the people you care about, those are not times wasted. Those are the good times. Those are are the times that really matter. So let yourself value that rather than thinking it's a silly or a trivial waste of everyone's time. Like, you should spend your time being very serious about things. She says it's worth taking the laughter seriously. God's response to our despairing laughter may not always be a kind of euphoric, charismatic, holy laughter that eclipses all of our problems in the moment. Maybe for us, the God of the one whose name means laughter shows up in smaller ways, too. And the laughter we share over a funny memory of a lost or estranged loved one. And the jokes that catch our cynicism or our stoicism off guard, even if it's just for a moment. This unexpected, unbidden laughter is the echo of Sarah when God had fulfilled God's promises to her. The good news of God's promise for resurrection life sounds like (coughs) joyful laughter, like unexpected good news breaking into the world where the news has been bad and the laughter has been cynical for so long. It's comedy in the highest sense. Something so unbelievably good that it is hard to believe. Something so out of the ordinary that we laugh until tears stream down our face. But as Frederick Buechner writes, these are glad tears at last. Not sad tears. Tears at the unexpectedness of things rather than their tragic expectedness. Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Our unexpected Joyful laughter is God assuring us that 
No. Actually, nothing is too wonderful for the Lord. And that is the news that is too good to not be true. Thanks be to God.